Chapter 14 of Planet of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison. Chapter 14 Life was ended. Brian's mind contained nothing but despair and the pain of irretrievable loss. If his brain had been completely the master of his body, he would have died there, for at that moment there was no will to live. Unaware of this, his heart continued to beat, and the regular motion of his lungs drew in the dreadful sweetness of the smoke-tainted air. With automatic directness his body lived on. "'What you gonna do?' Telt asked, even his natural exuberation stilled by this. Brian only shook his head as the words penetrated. What could he do? What could possibly be done? "'Follow me,' a voice said in guttural dissent through the opening of a rear window. The speaker was lost in the crowd before they could turn. Aware now, Brian saw a native move away from the edge of the crowd and turn to look in their direction. It was Ulv. "'Turn the car, that way!' He punched Telt's arm and pointed. "'Do it slowly, and don't draw any attention to us.' For a moment there was hope, which he kept himself from considering. The building was gone, and the people in it all dead. That fact had to be faced. "'What's going on?' Telt asked. "'Who was that talked in the window?' "'A native, that one up ahead. He saved my life in the desert, and I think he is on our side. Even though he's a native Disson, he can understand facts that the Magter can't. He knows what will happen to this planet.' Brian was talking to fill his brain with words, so he wouldn't begin to have hope. There was no hope possible. Ulv moved slowly and naturally through the streets, never looking back. They followed as far behind as they dared, yet still keeping him in sight. Fewer people were about here among the deserted off-world storehouses. Ulv vanished into one of these. Light Metals Trust Limited, the sign read above the door. Telt slowed the car. Don't stop here, Brian said. Drive around the corner and pull up. Brian climbed out of the car with an ease he did not feel. No one was in sight now in either direction. Walking slowly back to the corner, he checked the street they had just left. Hot, silent, and empty. A sudden blackness appeared where the door of the warehouse had been, and the sudden flickering motion of a hand. Brian signaled Telt to start and jumped into the already moving sand-car. "'Into that open door, quickly, before anyone sees us!' The car rumbled down a ramp into the dark interior, and the door slid shut behind them. "'Ulv! What is it? Where are you?' Brian called, blinking in the murky interior. A gray form appeared beside him. "'I am here.' "'Did you—' There was no way to finish the sentence. "'I heard of the raid.' The Magter called together all of us they could to help them carry explosive. I went along. I could not stop them, and there was no time to warn anyone in the building. Then they are all dead? Yes, Ulv nodded. All except one. I knew I could perhaps save one. I was not sure who. So I took the woman you were with in the desert. She is here now. She was hurt, but not badly, when I brought her out. Guilty relief flooded through Brian. 
He shouldn't exult, not with the death of everyone in the Foundation still fresh in his mind. But at that instant he was happy. "'Let me see her,' he said to Ulf. He was seized by the sudden fear that there might be a mistake. Perhaps Ulf had saved a different woman. Ulf led the way across the empty loading bay. Brian followed closely, fighting down the temptation to tell him to hurry. When he saw that Ulf was heading towards an office in the far wall, he could control himself no longer and ran on ahead. It was Leah, lying unconscious on a couch. Sweat beaded her face and she moaned and stirred without opening her eyes. "'I gave her sober, then wrapped her in cloth so no one would know,' Ulf said. Telt was close behind him, looking in through the open door. "'Sover is a drug they take from one of their plants,' he said. "'We got a lot of experience with it. A little makes a good knockout drug, but it's deadly poison in large doses. I got the antidote in the car. Wait, and I'll get it.' He went out. Brian sat next to Leon and wiped her face clean of dirt and perspiration. The dark shadows under her eyes were almost black now, and her elfin face seemed even thinner. But she was alive, that was the important thing. Some of the tension drained away from Brian, and he could think again. There was still the job to do. After this last experience Leah should be in a hospital bed, but this was impossible. He would have to drag her to her feet and put her back to work. The answer might still be found. Each second ticked away another fraction of the planet's life. "'Good as new in a minute,' Telt said, banging down the heavy med-box. He watched intently as Ulv left the room. "'I should know about this renegade. Might be useful as a spy, or for information. Though, of course, it's too late now to do anything. So, the hell with it.' He pulled a pistol-shaped hypodermic gun from the box and dialed a number on the side. "'Now, if you roll her sleeve up, I'll bring her back to life.' He pressed the bell-shaped sterilizing muzzle against her skin and pulled the trigger. The hypogun hummed briefly, ending its cycle with a loud click. "'Does it work fast?' Brian asked. "'A couple of minutes. Just let her be, and she'll come to by herself.' Ulv was in the doorway. "'Kill her!' he hissed. His blowgun was in his hand, half raised to his mouth. "'He's been in the car! He's seen it!' Telt shouted and grabbed for his gun. Brian sprang between them, raising his hands. "'Stop it! No more killing!' he shouted in Disson. Then he shook his fist at Telt. "'Fire that gun, and I'll stuff it down your throat. I'll handle this.' He turned to face Ulf, who hadn't brought the blowgun any closer to his lips. This was a good sign. The Disson was still uncertain. "'You have seen the body in the car, Ulv, so you must have seen that it is that of a Magter. I killed him myself, because I would rather kill one, or ten, or even a hundred men than have everyone on this planet destroyed. I killed him in a fair fight, and now I am going to examine his body. There is something very strange and different about the Magter, you know that yourself. If I can find out what it is, Perhaps we can make them stop this war and not bomb Nyord. Ulv was still angry, but he lowered the blowgun a little. "'I wish there were no off-worlders,' he said. "'I wish that none of you had ever come. Nothing was wrong until you started coming. The Magter were the strongest, and they killed, but they also helped. 
Now they want to fight a war with your weapons, and for this you are going to kill my world. And you want me to help you." "'Not me. Yourself,' Brian said wearily. "'There's no going back. That's the one thing we can't do. Maybe Dis would have been better off without off-planet contact. Maybe not. In any case, you have to forget about that. You have contact now with the rest of the galaxy, for better or for worse. You've got a problem to solve, and I'm here to help you solve it." Seconds ticked by as Ulv, unmoving, fought with questions that were novel to his life. Could killing stop death? Could he help his people by helping strangers fight and kill them? This world had changed, and he didn't like it. He must make a giant effort to change with it. Abruptly, he pushed the blowgun into a thong at his waist, turned, and strode out. "'Too much for my nerves,' Talt said, settling his gun back in the holster. "'You don't know how happy I'm going to be when this whole damn thing is over. Even if the planet goes bang, I don't care. I'm finished.' He walked out to the sandcar, keeping a careful eye on the Disson crouched against the wall. Brian turned back to Leah, whose eyes were open, staring at the ceiling. He went to her. "'Running,' she said, and her voice had a toneless emptiness that screamed louder than any emotion. "'They ran by the open door of my room, and I could see them when they killed Dr. Stein. Just butchered him like an animal, chopping him down. Then one came into the room, and that's all I remember.' She turned her head slowly and looked at Brian. What happened? Why am I here?" There, dead, he told her. All of them. After the raid, the Dissons blew up the building. You're the only one that survived. That was Ulv who came into your room, the Disson we met in the desert. He brought you away and hid you here in the city. When do we leave? she asked in the same empty tones, turning her face to the wall. When do we get off this planet? Today is the last day. The deadline is midnight. Kraft will have a ship pick us up when we are ready. But we still have our job to do. I've got that body. You're going to have to examine it. We must find out about the Magter. Nothing can be done now except leave. Her voice was a dull monotone. There is only so much that a person can do, and I've done it. Please, have the ship come. I want to leave now." Brian bit his lip in helpless frustration. Nothing seemed to penetrate the apathy into which he had sunk. Too much shock, too much terror, in too short a time. He took her chin in his hand and turned her head to face him. She didn't resist, but her eyes were shining with tears. Tears trickled down her cheeks. "'Take me home, Brian. Please take me home.' He could only brush her sodden hair back from her face and force himself to smile at her. The moments of time were running out, faster and faster, and he no longer knew what to do. The examination had to be made, yet he couldn't force her. He looked for the med-box and saw that Telt had taken it back to the sand-car. There might be something in it that could help, a tranquilizer, perhaps. Telt had some of his instruments open on the chart-table, and was examining a tape with a pocket-magnifier when Brian entered. He jumped nervously and put the tape behind his back, 
then relaxed when he saw who it was. "'I thought you were the creepy out there coming for a look,' he whispered. "'Maybe you trust him, but I can't afford to. Can't even use the radio. I'm getting out of here now. I have to tell Heiss.' "'Tell him what?' Brian asked sharply. "'What is all the mystery about?' Telt handed him the magnifier and tape. "'Look at that! Recording tape from my scintillation counter. Red verticals are five-minute intervals. The wiggly black horizontal line is the radioactivity level. All this where the line goes up and down, that's when we were driving out to the attack. Varying hot level of the rock and ground. What's the big peak in the middle? That coincides exactly with our visit to the House of Horrors. When we went through the hole in the bottom of the tower— He couldn't keep the excitement out of his voice. Does it mean that— I don't know. I'm not sure. I have to compare it with the other tapes back at base. It could be the stone of the tower. Some of these heavy rocks have got a high natural count. There maybe could be a box of instruments there, with fluorescent dials. Or it might be one of those tactical atom bombs they threw at us already. Some arms runner sold them a few. Or it could be the cobalt bombs. It could be. Telt said, packing his instrument swiftly. A badly shielded bomb, or an old one with a crack in the skin, could give a trace like that. Just a little radon leaking out would do it. Why don't you call Heiss on the radio and let him know? I don't want Granddaddy Kraft's listening post to hear about it. This is our job, if I'm right. And I have to check my old tapes to make sure. But it's going to be worth a raid. I can feel that in my bones. Let's unload your corpse." He helped Brian with the clumsy, wrapped bundle, then slipped into the driver's seat. "'Hold it,' Brian said. "'Do you have anything in the med-box I can use for Leah? She seems to have cracked. Not hysterical, but withdrawn. Won't listen to reason. Won't do anything but lie there and ask to go home.' "'Got the potion here,' Telt said, cracking the med-box. "'Slaughter syndrome is what our medics call it. Hit a lot of our boys grow up all your life hating the idea of violence, and it goes rough when you have to start killing people. Guys break up, break down, go to pieces lots of different ways. The medic mixed up this stuff. Don't know how it works, probably tranquilizers and some of the cortex drugs, but it peels off recent memories, maybe for the last ten-twelve hours. You can't get upset about what you don't remember." He pulled out a sealed package. Directions on the box. Good luck. Luck, Brian said, and shook the technician's calloused hand. Let me know if the traces are strong enough to be bombs. He checked the street to make sure it was clear, then pressed the door button. The sandcar churned out into the brilliant sunshine and was gone, the throb of its motor dying in the distance. Brian closed the door and went back to Leah. Ulv was still crouched against the wall. There was a one-shot disposable hypodermic in the box. Leah made no protest when he broke the seal and pressed the needle against her arm. She sighed and her eyes closed again. When he saw she was resting easily, he dragged in the tarpaulin-wrapped body of the Magter. A workbench ran along one wall and he struggled the corpse up onto it. He unwrapped the tarpaulin and the sightless eyes stared accusingly up into his. Using his knife, Brian cut away the loose, blood-soaked clothing. 
strapped under the clothes around the man's waist, was the familiar collection of Disson artifacts. This could have significance either way. Human or humanoid, the creature would still have to live on Dis. Brian threw it aside, along with the clothing. Nude, pierced, bloody, the corpse lay before him. In every external physical detail, the man was human. Brian's theory was becoming more preposterous with each discovery. If the Magter weren't alien, how could he explain their complete lack of emotions? A mutation of some kind? He didn't see how it was possible. There had to be something alien about the dead man before him. The future of a world rested on this flimsy hope. If Telt's lead to the bombs proved to be false, there would be no hope left at all. Leah was still unconscious when he looked at her again. There was no sign of telling how long the coma would last. He would probably have to waken her out of it, but he didn't want to do it too early. It took an effort to control his impatience, even though he knew the drug needed time in which to work. He finally decided on at least a minimum of an hour before he should try to disturb her. That would be noon, twelve hours before destruction. One thing he should do was to get in touch with Professor Commander Kraft. Maybe it was being defeatist, but he had to make sure that they had a way off this planet if the mission failed. Kraft had installed a relay radio that would forward calls from his personal set. If this relay had been in the Foundation building, contact was broken. This had to be found out before it was too late. Brian thumbed on his radio and sent the call. The reply came back instantly. This is Fleet Communications. Will you please keep the circuit open? Commander Kraft is waiting for this call, and it is being put directly through to him now." Kraft's voice broke in while the operator was still talking. "'Who is making this call? Is it anyone from the Foundation?' The old man's voice was shaky with emotion. "'Brand here. I have Leah Morris with me.' "'No more? Are there no other survivors from the disaster that destroyed your building?' That's it. Other than us, it's a complete loss. With the building and all the instruments gone, I have no way to contact our ship in orbit. Can you arrange to get us out of here if necessary? Give me your location. A ship is coming now. I don't need a ship now, Brian interrupted. Don't send it until I call. If there is a way to stop your destruction, I'll find it. So I'm staying, to the last minute if necessary. Kraft was silent. There was only the crackle of an open mic and the sound of breathing. "'That is your decision,' he said finally. "'I'll have a ship standing by. But won't you let us take Miss Maurice out now?' "'No, I need her here. We are still working, looking for what answer can you find that could possibly avert destruction now?' His tone was between hope and despair. Brian couldn't help him. If I succeed, you'll know. Otherwise, that will be the end of it. End of transmission. He switched the radio off. Leah was sleeping easily when he looked at her, and there was still a good part of the hour left before he could wake her. How could he put it to use? She would need tools, instruments to examine the corpse, and there were certainly none here. Perhaps he could find some in the ruins of the Foundation building. With this thought, he had the sudden desire to see the wreckage up close. There might be other survivors. 
he had to find out. If he could talk to the men he had seen working there. Ulv was still crouched against the wall in the outer room. He looked up angrily when Brian came over, but said nothing. "'Will you help me again?' Brian asked. "'Stay and watch the girl while I go out. I'll be back at noon.' Ulv didn't answer. "'I am still looking for the way to save Dis,' Brian added. "'Go. I'll watch the girl,' Ulv spat words in impotent fury. "'I do not know what to do. You may be right. Go. She will be safe with me.' Brian slipped out into the deserted street, and, half-running, half-walking, made his way towards the rubble that had been the Cultural Relationships Foundation. He used a different course from the one they had come by, striking first towards the outer edge of the city. Once there, he could swing and approach from the other side, so there would be no indication where he had come from. The Magter might be watching, and he didn't want to lead them to Leah and the stolen body. Turning a corner, he saw a sandcar stopped in the street ahead. There was something familiar about the lines of it. It could be the one he and Telt had used, but he wasn't sure. He looked around, but the dusty, packed dirt street was white and empty, shimmering in silence under the sun. Staying close to the wall and watching carefully, Brian slipped towards the car. When he came close behind it, he was positive it was the one he had been in the night before. What was it doing here? Silence and heat filled the street. Windows and doors were empty, and there was no motion in their shadows. Putting his foot on a bogey-wheel, he reached up and grabbed the searing metal rim of the open window. He pulled himself up and stared at Telt's smiling face. Smiling in death. The lips pulled back to reveal the grinning teeth, the eyes bursting from the head, the features swollen and contorted from the deadly poison. A tiny tufted dart of wood stuck in the brown flesh on the side of his neck. End of chapter 14